0: I thought about what to talk about today, and and I'm kind of in a little mini-series, and and, uh, I thought, well, you know, it's Easter Sunday, I I could make it fit, and then I kind of got provoked by Tesco's, um, (laughs) saying that Good Friday was made better because they got special offers on beer and cider. Now, listen, I'm all for special offers on beer and cider, but there was a little bit of a a furor about this. And then I think it was National Trust but you know, deleting Easter from the egg hunt. Like, let's reclaim Easter. Yes. You know, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. This is, we wouldn't have a holiday if Jesus hadn't died on a cross and rose again from the dead. Would, you can go to countries that don't have Easter because they don't believe in that stuff. So let's at least give him credit for giving us a holiday. Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought we need to talk about the real stuff of Easter just, just for a little while that we've got, got this morning. Um, we're going to jump off from a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6 through... No, it's not verse 6, 16 to 19. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. <clears throat> if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we ought to be pitied more than all men. <laughs> so my title is, What Side of the Cross Are We Living On? Or maybe I should say, yeah, what side of the cross are we living on? Because this verse is pretty to the point. That if we we just look at the cross and don't put it in the context of the resurrection and have no faith in a supernatural resurrection, the activity of the cross as bloody and as costly and as painful and as awe-inspiringly awful as it was has zero beneficial effect. We're stuck with a dead Savior who is no Savior at all. The blood of Jesus on a cross is only working as a means of forgiveness to us and changing our lives and changing the planet, etc., etc., because he rose from the dead. It's interesting, there's lots of surveys come out this time Year, lots of people believe that, that Jesus died on a cross, and, and it's, it's pretty much historically proven, you know, you, not just in the Bible, but the bit that people struggle with believing is that he rose from the dead, because that takes faith, because that's supernatural, and actually without a resurrection, there is no forgiveness and there is no salvation, and is, it was actually pointless, and we are to be pitied I'm just saying what he says <clears throat> so the, the three days of Easter are our package they're a, they're a unity they're, they're together they, they work together and lots of people who, who studied the early church and who comment on the early church talk about its success because Not because they had a great theology. They hadn't figured out the Trinity. They hadn't even totally figured out who Jesus was. But one thing they had was they knew he rose from the dead. And that was truly remarkable. And they went around proclaiming a resurrection. And that got them in all kinds of hot water. So if you look at at Paul's testimony in, in, uh, in Athens on Mars hill he's talking to them and it's when he starts to talk about people rising from the dead that they all kind of go nah, I'm not so sure about this guy it's all interesting philosophically until the point that you introduce a supernatural event and at which point the rational mind wants to check out you can't have salvation without a resurrection Can't have Christianity without a resurrection. We've got a resurrection. He rose from the dead. Because He rose from the dead, it means that everything He suffered for, He paid for, He bled for, He died for on the cross is in full effect. So when he said it was finished, he really meant it. Sometimes I know I've lived my life as a Christian thinking what he actually said was it started. He started a revolution. He started a movement. He started something new. Well, in a sense he did, but actually what he said is it's finished. So I just wanted to kind of rehearse with us remind ourselves of some of the things that he finished. And he proved it was done because he rose from the dead. And the other thing I just thought about, you know, sometimes you can read the story and you can feel like he was controlled by the circumstances, the soldiers, the Romans, the Jewish authorities, etc., etc., and that he was trapped into, of course it was God's will, but he, had, he wasn't actually in control of the process. If you read it carefully, Jesus only died because he wanted to. Jesus was only there being nailed to a tree because he submitted to the will of the Father, not because he was trapped by some Roman guards. He was in control of him. They weren't in control of him. Because he actually says, do you not think that I could call this legions of angels, and they would come. He had the authority to change the situation, and he chose not to. He chose to be sacrificed. He wasn't forced to be a sacrifice. Let's just say that again. He chose to be sacrificed. He made a conscious choice to walk into that environment and submit himself to everything The persecution, the brutal beatings, everything he went through, he did it, and he was in control. He was not being a victim, yeah? He was actually being powerful, he was making incredible choices, and he was making them for us. And him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit had some kind of deal going on where if he went through that and died, he was trusting that they were going to wake him up. So into your hands I commit my spirit is a, you could read into that like, oh guys, we arranged this a while ago. I hope this works. Now I don't he knew it was gonna work. Don't misunderstand me. But he submitted to death in the full expectation that resurrection was three days round the corner. He actually had it actually in Hebrews that he had the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is not someone you could kill. It's like these old toys that have a weight in the bottom and you knock them and they just keep coming back up again. What I'm trying to communicate is that at no point in this was Jesus defeated or a victim. At every point, he was making this powerful decisions and walking through a painful situation so that you and I could have life and life abundant. So that he could say, it's finished and we could live in the good of what he completed. Isn't that amazing that his heart, his strength in the Father, who he was, could take him through all of that and he wouldn't wimp out at any moment. And such was his faith and his connection was that he was in utter conviction that even when it was all done and there was no breath left in his body, that God would raise him from the dead. Wow. And he did. And it's on that side of the event that we now live. So that's why the early church had their success. That's, that's kind of where we're seeking to stand. We, from the outside, the cross could look like a failure and it could look like victory to the enemy and all those things. But actually, the cross was the biggest victory in the history of the world because on the cross, he reconciled all things to himself. All that had been undone at the fall was done back up again at the, at the cross, and it was put into force because there was a resurrection. All of creation, all of the heavenlies, all of the earth, all of the people of the earth have been reconciled back to God in Christ through that moment. Because Colossians 1 tells us that God in Christ was reconciling All things to himself, all things in heaven and on the earth. Isn't that amazing? amazing. So we don't live in a place of defeat. As a church, we're not meant to just keep looking at the cross and coming at the cross from the point of view of seeing it as a place of an end, or a defeat, or the power of death over a great man, or the power of other people over a great man, or the power of rebellion over a great man actually... We're supposed to see it from the other side, from the resurrection side, which is this was a victory, this was a triumph, this was God in control, this was God being mighty, this was God being loving, this was God winning. So that affects the way we think about our lives. Hello? Which side of the cross am I living on in my life? Yes, it can be true. It can be challenging. It can be tough. But actually, there's a resurrection that already happened. Which means that we could talk like the apostles did about these momentary trials. I mean, they had an attitude to difficulty that I'm sometimes amazed by. It's like these brief momentary trials. I'm like, yeah, kidding. You know, Paul was beaten with rods, left for dead, shit wrecked. Like These brief and momentary trials, I'm like, Okay, then, I've still got something to learn. But he was living on the resurrection side of the cross. He understood that Jesus had won, and therefore he had already won. Everything else was a blip and an interruption. How are you doing? I was hoping to cheer you up, but it, it, we'll keep going. It will get, we'll, we'll preach ourselves happy eventually. So, what does it mean? It, what it means, first of all, we all know, I hope we all know, that sin, sin was defeated. Yes. Not is being defeated. Not one day you'll get free from your sin. Not one day you'll be forgiven. No, you have already been forgiven. You have already been released from the power and from the penalty of sin. At the cross and the resurrection, that's historically true and therefore in place, in full for you right now. I am forgiven for everything I've ever done, everything I may be doing, and everything I may do. Already, all right? Not like... Obviously, I need to interact with that and ask for that and, and, and process that. But actually, in place is the forgiveness for every error, mistake, glitch, sin, big, small, large, indifferent, earth-shattering mistakes are forgiven. In your life and in my life. Anybody got a few, like, tiny ones? Like, anybody got a few medium-sized ones? I'm not asking you to put your hand, you didn't put not putting your hands up for the little ones. Who's got a little one? Come on, just, be, just a little one. We won't ask about big ones. But the point that is, just think of the worst thing you ever did. For a moment, you're forgiven. <laughs> and in God's economy, forgiven means that has no power over your present and future reality. He treats you like it's not there anymore because he doesn't just remove our sin, he forgets it. In fact, the Psalms, as it talks about, far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. I don't know if you've ever tried to take that journey, but we'll never see you again. So everything, we're not here to be controlled by our past. Because when he said it's finished, he actually said, that's finished. It's forgiven. It's gone. It has no power over your present and future reality because he, for, when he forgives, he wipes out all of that. Sometimes it's just good to go, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven. Everything. Everything. Have no place in my life for guilt, condemnation, and shame. You know those emotions, those feelings that can come upon us as we start to think about maybe sometimes we feel things we did, we did wrong. But actually, when the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation. Do you know why it says there's no condemnation? It's because there isn't any. It's not present and you can have it if you submit to it. It's absent in the economy of heaven because Jesus took the punishment for all our sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're feeling condemned, it's not coming from the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the angels. None of them are bringing condemnation into my life. There's only one place where that comes from. So, when we're living on the resurrection side of the cross, we're increasingly walking in the reality that we're forgiven, we're not condemned, we're not walking in shame. You know, our shoulders are back, our heads are up, our hearts are beating stronger because we can look him in the eye and know all he sees in us is purity. So, everybody, well, I'm not that pure. Yes, that's not true. You are. How is it that God can't just see purity in me? That's what he sees. Because he became sin who knew no sin. He became sin who knew no sin. That you could become the righteousness of Christ. I'm not saying by that that all your behaviors are perfect and there aren't things to grow in. That's called sanctification. What I'm saying is when the Father looks you in the eye, he sees the purity that he bought for you in Jesus. You're as right with God as Jesus is. Let's try these guys. I thought that was a really great, happy thing to say. You're as right with God as Jesus is. Because you're in his right, which righteousness basically means rightness or right standing with the Father. He took your sin and became sin and suffered its consequences that he could give to you his rightness with the Father. When you put your faith in him, you inherit rightness with God at the same level that Jesus had it. And that's the same for you guys and the guys in the middle as well. This is just basic forgiveness. I mean, this is what he, where we're saying, yeah, he's risen. It means we are free. We are forgiven. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Right here in this room. This is who we are, and that's how he sees us. We're not under condemnation, not under guilt, not under shame. And, and we need to keep, keep that out of our culture as a community that we know what it is to be righteous. Because the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy. That means we understand the rightness of our connection with heaven as a community. We're not putting blame and shame and condemnation on one another. We're encouraging one another to remain in the love and the grace of God, which is the biblical exhortations to us. Yeah, So we're not about making sure everybody stands in shame. We're about making sure everybody stands in the love of Christ do you see we're not around reminding everybody what we did last year that wasn't so clever do you see that heavenly realities gets reflected in our earthly culture I haven't got time to stay there much longer but that was also an excellent point <laughs> and at the cross sin's power was broken so it's penalty was dealt with. You're not going to suffer for your sins at any point in the future. He's not just saved up a little bit of punishment just to let you know, you know. A quick clip around the ear as you go through the pearly gates. It's not happening. The penalty for sin is paid. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is released and the power of sin is broken so when he died on the cross he didn't just get you forgiven he got you and I released from the power that sin has over our minds bodies behaviors emotions we are not under the dominion of the realm of the power of sin any longer this is good news The death he died, he died to sin, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And when he did that, he did it so that we would be dead with him to sin. His death is my death, so I don't have to have a death. Which is why Paul says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because in Christ, it's swallowed up in resurrection. Yeah, but I am going to die. Yeah, I know, but it'll just be like a little blip. Because you'll go from communion with the Father, blip, to even greater communion with the Father. You already have eternal life, you're not going to get eternal life. You're already alive forever. You're already permanently connected to the presence of God in your life right now. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Day 2000 and something years ago. Hallelujah. (laughs) Gospel's good, isn't it? Sin has no power. Paul says in Romans 6, Therefore count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And it's an accounting word. It's like, do the maths, add up the facts, This is what he did. So in your brain go, I am dead to sin and its power. And I am alive to God in all his goodness. Do the sum and then get happy. (laughs) I'm sure he meant it exactly as I just preached it as well. I just feel that was in Romans 6. He was very excited about being free from sin. I just want to go back to the, this idea so sins power penalty it's dealt with finished and on the cross he reconciled us to god so it's all connected but it's it's another idea that's really important that we grasp because Colossians 1 says that through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. There is no distance anymore. Anything that comes into the heart of a believer that makes him or her think that there is a gap between them and God is a lie. You have been reconciled to God. Reconciled means he made peace and he brought those that were far away into intimacy permanently. He bound you to himself in love. He can never let you go. No one can snatch you out of his hand. If you think there's a gap, it's a lie. And often religion has traded on the gap. It's like, well, we need someone to help me get close to God. We need to do something to help me get close to God. And actually, you end up paying people to help you be close to God. No. Jesus did all the help you need. He made us alive in Christ. He wrapped us up in family Trinity. That's what Jesus said. He was saying, no, actually, I'm going to be in you and you're going to be in me and we're going to be in the Father. Go figure. (laughs) Let's just go through that for a minute and then, you know, just think about it for the next millennia. So there's Jesus in whom all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Okay, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all fully dwell in Jesus. Happy with that? He says to his disciples, he says, you know what? You're gonna be me in me. I'm like, well, that's a pretty weird thought, but okay, we'll go with that. And I'm gonna be in you. Now we're having trouble. And we were all being the Father. And I'm like, well, I thought the Father was in you. And you were in me, and now I'm in you. Where we get the idea that there could be a gap, I really don't know. Whatever else conclusion you come to out of that sentence is, there is no gap. It probably means a lot of other much more profound things that I can figure out, but he's in you, and you're in him, and you're all in the Father. It's a bit like the Easter egg is in the Easter egg is in the Easter egg. but there is no gap (laughs) you've been reconciled to God in Christ but he doesn't just say you as in people, as in population the planet for the present and the past and the future he's saying that he's reconciled all things to himself things on earth and in heaven and and what, what we glean from this is that all the created order at the cross, all the people, but also all the seen and unseen power structures, structures of the created order have been reconciled to God in Christ through the cross. So that was a good point too, but you know. So what it means is that every person that we meet is already pre-qualified for blessing from the Father. Father. Well, oh, surely they need to repent before they get blessed. Well, actually, I think what the New Testament starts to show us is that when they get blessed, they'll repent. And that the, res, the resurrection and the cross has meant that everybody's reconciled to God, so favor, blessing, and uh, good things can flow to them even though they don't deserve it. Before they repent. And then Paul says it's the goodness of God that then leads to repentance. So we can go around freely distributing the goodness of God, the goodies of the kingdom of God to whoever, whenever, because the reconciliation that happened to the cross applies to every soul alive on the planet. Doesn't matter what faith they are of, whether any faith or none, whether they're They're in the most horrendous situations of of sin and depravity. Doesn't matter because God already paid for them to be blessed. God speaks to people who are not even searching for him. God blesses people. God has favor on all kinds of people who should not have favor on them, according to me. And maybe you as well, but that's because he's adjusting me out of judgment into favour, which is the posture that he has to all mankind. <laughs> the other thing about that it is finished is Satan is defeated. not is being or will be but has been in a very real sense of the word he is a has been has been beaten because Jesus it says in Colossians 2, 5 he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them through the cross. The picture is from a Roman's army's victory over its enemies, and they would strip their enemies of all their armor, all their weapons, and quite a lot of their clothing, and they would parade them in humiliation through the streets to show how defeated they were. They were naked, they were defeated, they were without weapons, they were without protection. They were publicly displayed as overcome. That's what Jesus did to the enemy at the cross. It was a public demonstration of the humiliation of the powers of darkness. It's a big finish. He is finished. So why, why is so much bad stuff going on if Jesus defeated him? You know, the only time in, in, the, in history, in the biggest possible sense of that word, that who we know as the devil had genuine authority was when he was an angel in the presence of God. He had God given authority, probably and had a large number of angels that worked with him. So we get this from places like Isaiah 14 and so on in the Old Testament. So Satan is a, the devil is a fallen angel, okay? And then we see him as a serpent in the garden, tempting Eve to eat the fruit from the tree. Remember that? Does he have any authority in the garden? Has God given him any authority in any realm? Answer, no, no. he He was removed from his realm of responsibility and authority and cast out of heaven. He had no actual legitimate authority to function. How did he get it? He lied. He usurped. He gained agreement from the people who had been given the authority. So Adam and Eve were put in the garden, and it's very clear in Genesis 1 that God gives them authority to rule over the planet, to steward it, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, to subdue, to fill it, to multiply, to cultivate and keep. He gives them the responsibility and the authority to look after the planet. Devil has none, they have it all, how does he gain a place of standing by getting the people who have the authority to agree with his opinion. Do, do you see? Did God say, do not eat of the oh, oh maybe, maybe, maybe I should eat. This looks good. If you eat of this, you'll 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 be like God. So the, okay, we'll do this. So the fruit of that is that they end up more distant from God and in a place where they're controlled by the one they agreed with. So he doesn't have legitimate authority, he has usurped authority. Usurped authority because of agreement gained by deception. Are, are you following? So he's built an idea in that mind of Adam and Eve that they then agree with and then take action commensurate to that idea. And it's an idea that is in antithesis to the ideas and commands of God. And in doing that step, he then becomes empowered by their agreement with his concepts rather than heaven's. Are, are, Are you with me? see, what happens is when I preach this and think this and say, Satan is defeated, we all sit there and we think about, yeah, but he doesn't feel that defeated in bits of... The world I see, your life. But do you know why? Jesus dethroned. Jesus publicly humiliated. Jesus defeated. Jesus disarmed. Jesus ended the reign of him who had the power over death. That is the devil. Jesus did that at the cross. His blood shed on the cross and validated through the resurrection, defeated the enemy and deposed his reign forever. Oh, it doesn't feel that deposed. But maybe it's because he still has no legitimate authority. Because Jesus broke the agreement with humanity had made in the garden. Jesus at the cross broke the agreement on our behalf. So that we are no longer subject to that reign and rule. Which is why the Bible says that when we come to faith in him, we move out of darkness and into light. Because at the cross, the bondage between humanity and the devil was broken. And when you put faith in what Jesus did, you move out of darkness and into light. You are no longer under the dominion of darkness. Everything he won is ours. Every victory he achieved is ours. I just want to propose propose to you that one of the things we're about is undoing our unhealthy agreements that have re-empowered a disempowered devil in the church. It's good to declare it's Resurrection Day. Because that reminds us who actually won. Who is the victor? Who is the one that the angel said, lift up your heads, you heavenly gates, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? It's Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the King of glory. He has nothing else to do. And we become children of his kingdom, of his reign. And I just want to propose that we are in the business of breaking agreement with lies the devils told the church. Just, just quickly, to, to like, there's, there's a ton of them, I think, but like healing. We've spoken a lot about this here. But inside the church, over the centuries, bit by bit, an agreement, we were deceived into thinking that, number one, in some areas, healing doesn't exist at all. It only existed in the early church. It's not true. But if you can gain agreement that that is the truth and build a whole package of thinking around that, and then somebody comes along and says, you can be healed, what's it going to hit? It's going to hit the agreement with the lies, which have empowered the lies in the church. Uh, And then people start thinking, well, maybe you could be healed, but actually, you know, you're going to stay sick because... Perhaps it's God's will to make you unwell. Now that's a very prevalent set of thinking in the church. But what that does, if you partner with that set of lies, become, you become resistant to the faith that Jesus can heal you. And so I believe we're in a journey. Why, why don't we see everybody healed? Why is there not so much breakout as we'd like to see? Why, what, why are people still getting sick? And, and, and it's not any one person's fault this. This is, this is a journey that church is on of pulling down the lie that says it doesn't happen anymore or it could be the will of God to make you sick the more we kind of pull down our strongholds of thinking and the agreement with the lies the more faith is released in the community and you know what healing will get easier and easier my friend Pete Carter says any of you have problems speaking in tongues for most of us it's very easy but go back a few decades, that was actually quite a challenge. Healing is going to become as easy as speaking in tongues. As we regain the ground and make, break our agreements with the lies as a whole community, it's going to happen more and more and more. And then the nations will see the church in her glory because we were commissioned to go out to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, give sight to the blind. We weren't actually commissioned, although there's not, I don't have a problem with apologetics, we weren't actually commissioned to go and give a good reason for our faith as the prime means of changing the planet. I need to stop. <clears throat> He's alive. Yeah. And kicking and ruling, and reigning, and he's teaching us to do the same with him, uh, and I wonder if we could just stand together, we're just going to take a couple more minutes, before we get our children, kids workers gave us an extra five minutes, which is a great blessing to us, just so we can land this, and just see what God wants to do amongst us today, I just wonder if you feel comfortable, if you could say out loud, all together, we could do it together. He is risen, He is reigning, and He is victorious. Can we do that? On three, one, two, three. He is risen, He is reigning, and He is victorious. Let's do that again. He is risen, He is reigning, and He is victorious. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you. You volunteered for the cross. You volunteered for the cross that I could be free, that I could be joined to you in resurrection life.